When is the last time you made a promise to someone, and what was it? When's the last time you promised something to someone? And I don't mean I'll take out the garbage or something like that. I mean a serious promise, a real promise, a promise where you really were putting something on the line. And do you remember what it was about? Are you a promiser? I have one friend who refuses to do it. He says, I never make promises to anyone because I don't want to disappoint them. And I always want to say, you're probably disappointing your friends that you refuse to promise them anything. How are you with promises? I'd like to suggest that if the season of Advent is about anything, it's about putting ourselves before the Lord and really asking ourselves how we're doing with respect to God concerning promises. St. Joe's, as you may know, for each week of the four weeks of Advent is posing a different question to the community. It's right on the cover of the worship aid for this week. What are you waiting for? And that's certainly appropriate. We talk about Advent as a season of waiting. But I also want to stick with this idea of promise because for the people of Israel, that's the kind of language they use. And we recall that as we celebrate this season. And you had it right in the very first reading. God, through the prophet Jeremiah, saying to the people of Israel, I will be faithful to my promise. You see that echoed in the prophets again and again, all the way up to the birth of Jesus. And what's the promise they were waiting for? Basically, the promise of restoration. Yes, to get their land back, to get their freedom back. But really, as a people, as an individual person and as a collective people, to have their dignity back, to have their world reoriented in a way where they felt like they were on solid ground again, their identity was restored, that's the promise they were waiting for. And for generation after generation, seemingly that promise was not being fulfilled, at least not the way they expected. And they had to decide, as do you and I, what does that promise mean? What does it mean to live in the midst of a promise that maybe we feel is not yet fulfilled? And you know how it is with a promise that we're waiting on. All kinds of things can happen. It can be exciting expectation. You know, is it going to be tomorrow or the day after? Maybe the day after. Maybe they'll surprise me. And sometimes we reach a point where we just get kind of jaded. We begin to wonder. We can all of a sudden start drawing conclusions and not so favorable ones about the one who made the promise. To have your heart suspended in a time of promise is to have it in a very fragile and vulnerable place. And that's the backstory for the people of Israel. Right up to the time that the angel Gabriel visits Mary, he visited a young girl who was living with the anticipation of her people for a seemingly yet unfulfilled promise. Okay, so that's great. That's all the way up to the time of Mary. We live on the other side of the resurrection. Is all this promise talk just kind of watching a 2,000-year-old video and we know the end story? I think for us, the promise in some ways is even a lot more poignant than it was for them. I mean, they could easily measure whether or not the promise was fulfilled. Do we get our land back? Do we get our freedom back? Did somebody finally kick the butts of the Romans? They knew what they were looking for. 
What are we looking for? What's the promise that's made to us? Because on the one hand, we know all the right language. Jesus died for our sins. Salvation is open to all of us. Baptized into new life. And that's all true. But if you're like me, you didn't wake up this morning worrying whether or not your baptism was real. I don't think about it all that often. What's the rubber-hits-the-road, visceral, in-your-face reality that you and I have to deal with about the promise that's been given to us. And I would suggest that the promise you and I have to decide how we feel about is simply the promise that says because Christ came, because of what we know we're leading up to celebrating in this Advent season, and especially because he died and rose from the dead, the promise which has been given to us is that we are not defined or limited by our own version of the Paschal mystery, by our own version of seemingly unfulfilled expectations, by our own version of whatever suffering looks like for us, by our own version of being at the foot of the cross or on the cross. And I ain't doing so great with that one. I don't know about you. I know that the promise has been made. You are not defined by what frightens you. You are not defined by seemingly what limits you. And yet so often, again and again, I know that feeling. And that's why I think the church in all her wisdom gave us that gospel passage to pair up with that first reading from the prophets. Jesus uses a very strange line, I think. He says, don't let your heart grow drowsy by carousing and drunkenness. Okay, I get that one. I've never been there, but I've read about it. Drunkenness occasionally can make your heart and your mind grow drowsy. But then he adds something. He says, don't let your heart grow drowsy, tired, not perceptive by drinking, but also don't let it grow drowsy by anxiety. Did you catch that? He pairs up carousing and drunkenness with anxiety. It's as if you can have the equivalent of a drunken stupor because of the anxiety in your life. I don't usually pair those two concepts up, but man, I think Jesus is on to something. But unfortunately, I might be sober in the morning, but my anxiety is not just gonna go away. And think about what causes anxiety. It comes from the Latin word angustiae, means narrow, confined, constricted. That's what anxiety does to our heart and to our minds those fears that we see on the horizon, all those things that cause uncertainty. And in the face of that anxiety, you and I have a promise as Christians. And as Catholics, we have a promise that that anxiety is met by the truth of the sacraments. But do we really live with that reality? Because just like the Israelites, the promise that Christ gives us doesn't magically change everything externally. If I'm afraid because of the situation in my job, if I'm afraid because of what's coming up in my marriage, if I'm afraid with what's going on with my best friend at school, if I'm afraid about that biopsy report I'm going to get this week on Monday or Tuesday, whatever it is, the promise that Christ made won't externally change the world. Bad things might happen, but the lie is that I'm defined by those limits. I'm defined by what's frightening me. I'm defined by what's causing the anxiety. And that can make my heart drowsy and fearful and unresponsive. 
the same way that a drunken stupor can take me out of reality and make me very unreceptive to love, much less giving it. So just an invitation and an encouragement as we go into this Advent season to put Jesus' promise to the test, but it doesn't happen magically. It didn't happen magically for the people of Israel. They had to sit with the cold reality that the kingdom of David never came back. Israel never became the powerful people they once were. And yet in spite of all of that, there was very good news to be celebrated. Because what they came to realize is what's been offered to us ever since our baptism. And that's the promise that you are not defined by that which causes anxiety, but you'll never know it unless you can face it. Bring it into your prayer. Bring it into conversation. If there's been something hiding in the darkness causing the anxiety for you, let this be the advent of bringing it out into the light. You don't have to wait for the joy of Christmas morning. How will you live with this promise that's been offered? Unlike the Israelites, we don't have to wait for millennia to pass. The reality is right here now. Do not let your heart grow drowsy. Do not let it be shut down by anxiety. And the only way that will happen is by living into the promise.